Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, you, listener, uh, to another edition of Be Real Guys. I am Noah Ballard, back in the Brooklyn studio, accompanied via the internet, or phone lines, or whatever. Chance Solem Pfeiffer out there in Portland. What's up, bud? Not a whole bunch. Just uh, holding down the fort at our West Coast offices. That's great. Do you think that people know that it's me saying be real like do people get that it's you singing the intro i don't know if they do um it doesn't doesn't bother me that much that is chance who has written well i did some lyrics not a lot of lyrics but like a couple yeah and chance put it to music and then it's me in my old apartment in brooklyn shouting when i was just wasted on stuffed peppers and (laughs) vodka we're gonna wind that back this summer i believe Oh, I'm hoping to in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, just shouting "Be real" into like this portable microphone. Yeah, we did like 20 takes of it, and thus and was... the theme song was born. Yep. So, who's ever Good updating work. our Wikipedia page? Uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. What brings us here today, Noah? If we want to get into it, um, I would love that. This year, and God damn it, it seems like last year too. Uh, have just been dominated by uh, the 2016 presidential election cycle. And so we're here for uh, three takes on uh, electoral satire. We're going to see if these movies have the qualifications and the temperament to pull off uh, satire. Absolutely. Um, we thought it was important uh, on our editorial board here at Be, Be Real Guys to uh, to finally weigh. I know you've all been waiting for us to finally weigh in on the 2016 right. election. So yes. this is the episode. Uh, I'm very excited for the think pieces that come from this. Yeah. Fuel the and fire, actually, Chance. We could, even, uh, we could even go further and say that these are uh, three, three electoral satires uh, hinging on bringing in a political ringer. I think all three work in that way. Yeah, and then Chance, you were uh, awesome enough to, in your travels, come by a uh, a scholar who weighed in on one of our films, too. Yes, indeed. Uh, Leo Adam Biga, who uh, is a biographer of Alexander Payne, who is going to talk a little bit later about Payne's work, and specifically the 1999 film Election, which I think we're going we're gonna to kick off with. Yeah. But uh, after that, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned for some heavy hitters. We'll also be discussing 2012's The Campaign and 2003's Head of State. So, Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was definitely like a mixed bag this week on, on Be Real, oh, guys. Uh, <laughs> I think Chance and I are going to have a bit of just, just, just ruthless like bad movie shaming coming up. So... Buckle in for that. So let's start with uh, 1999's Election, Alexander Payne's second movie based on the novel by Tom Parada, which uh, was inspired by, what, the 92 election? 
the Clinton Bush Perot election where Perot got a whole bunch of the vote. Um, I was unaware of its like moment in the zeitgeist, but I can appreciate that. That was it. Um, but the movie, uh, not set in in Congress or in a race for the White House, but rather the race for uh, a high school class president. It was made in my hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, also Alexander Payne's hometown. Um, so to synopsize this puppy, if I can, and <laughs> Noah, jump in. Yeah, go ahead. So basically, Tracy Flick, uh, played by Reese Witherspoon, is uh, our do-gooder resume builder, sort of socially inept um, person who's always gotten her way by by working hard, getting A-pluses, and making cookies for people. She's the obvious candidate for uh, president of this high school. Um, Matthew Broderick plays Jim McAllister, who is a, a well-liked civics teacher um who's you know he's still got that ferris bueller thing about him but uh he's also wearing that that failed promise in his haircut and in his shirt choices um he doesn't like tracy flick because she's not particularly likable um but also (laughs) major curveball um what uh one of jim McAllister's like best friends and also a teacher at the school had like started an affair with tracy flick who's i don't know 16 17 18 and was fired over it um so jim McAllister, uh considering that and also considering tracy's general unlikability tries to get uh jock quarterback of the football team played by chris klein to run against her and then I don't know how much you want to get into it. The yeah, can we just like, can we just start for a second, like with the the exposition of this movie, which sure. I think speaks to Payne's, I would say, like it's definitely his style, if not his brilliance, however you want to phrase it. Um, sure. The idea that it starts as this sort of like quiet high school, like very MTV movie, and then it cuts to this super wide shot of this like creepy older guy going, "Her pussy gets so wet." <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird like moment there that the movie takes this like very dark sort of like Coeny Brothers turn to it. Yeah, um, but this movie's not afraid, and that is one of the things I like about it. Right. Um, like it really is going to give you things to like and dislike about different characters, and and putting <laughs> inserting that um, is an example, a bold example. It goes the way you think it's going to go. So it is like one of these high school 10 things I hate about you. She's all that sort of movies. But just like, and that's why I think MTV is sort of interested in it. And that's, Mm -hmm. Chance and I were discussing this earlier, the idea like MTV was one of the production companies for this. They like, so anyway, but it also like the beats that it inevitably hits that it has to, to be like a high school movie are so bizarre and so weird, but like so in order that yeah. it, it's it's both one of these like teen high school movies and also like almost a Coen Brothers level comedy. Well, and it's really like <sighs> no one was trying to get into the mindset of a high schooler making this movie. It's all like literary satire and like out and out sad adult reflection. Um, so you right. have that sort of like dissonant thing, and also like that's this movie was hard to market. I went back and actually watched the trailer. Um, and one of the interesting things is like, you know, the trailer, because, you know, trailers have to be reductive and in some sense really paints Tracy Flick as, as sort of the bad guy uh, of the movie, which when you watch it, I think one of the best things about the movie is 
uh, she is not the clear bad guy. No well, she, one is yeah, the clear bad she's guy. She's the antagonist, but I wouldn't necessarily say that she's like wrong. No, no. Like I what? Wouldn't she, she's just a person. Well, that's like I mean, and that's what I think makes it excellent drama is because if you boil it down, yeah, there's no good guy or bad guy. It's just a series of characters, like very clearly laid out, going after things that they want. Yeah, yeah. And then it, so Matthew Broderick is his intention is to have this girl not win the election. Yeah. And then he just goes from there and single-handedly and soul-mindedly a purpose to, uh, to take her down. Student, council, president. Oh, me? Oh, no. I, I don't know anything about that stuff, Mr. M. And, I mean, besides, that's Tracy Flick's thing. She's always working so hard at yeah, it. Yeah, no, she's a real go-getter, all right. And she's super nice. Yeah. Yeah, but one person assured of victory kind of uh, undermines the whole idea of democracy, don't you think? But, Mr. M... I mean, that'd be more like a, a dictatorship, like we studied. But, Mr. M, there's... Paul, what's your favorite fruit? Pears. Pears, good. Okay. Let's say... Oh, no, wait. Had... Apples. And if we didn't say, the, it gets even more complicated when the quarterback's... Uh, sister plays Ross Perot and, and and gets on in as the as the third candidate who uh uh sweeps early attention by saying like I don't care about this vote for me and disaffected high schoolers love that well that's and that's what I find so funny about the the tone of this movie because I think like what the what is entertaining if there is anything entertaining about this movie is the tone right just like okay. the voice of it. And I think what's so funny and having spent some time there, I feel like you're setting what is like a, like a normal sort of uh, narrative in a normal sort of school, but it happens to be Omaha. And in Omaha, like everyone is just so on an even keel just about like everything that nothing really gets that crazy until it absolutely has to. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with like the, that like, large scale psychological assessment of your of your people uh yes sure like even when the i mean this doesn't really especially suburban omaha right this is i mean when everything comes to a head and then there's that epilogue with matthew broderick like he doesn't care he's still like just chipper and just like yeah i mean that happened but now i'm doing this other thing yeah yeah (laughs) it's just so funny and so like nebraska it's true um and i think jumping off of that in the one of the things i like about the setting uh much the way we talked about enjoying fargo is just that alexander payne understands again because he's on his home turf much the way the same way the coen brothers run their home turf that mm-hmm. to that to do this well to capture this setting you have to shoot like gauche things and excessively plain things um and it's really to this movie's benefit there are some great shots of just ugly things that other people would leave out if they were coming to town to make a movie. But I'm getting the sense that you didn't like this movie, Chance. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, on the contrary, this is my favorite Alexander Payne film. Uh, oh, interesting. And I'm, I'm sen- I hadn't seen it before, but I've seen it twice since, uh, since we decided to do this, and I think it's amazing. I just think that the Broderick character, the Jim McAllister character, and tell me what you think, because you, you know, this is your trade. Um, I think that character of the person who, for all intents and purposes, starts as a good person, but follows their impulses and their ideas into a space where they are not, 
is something that appears a lot more in literature than in movies and television because I think it's it's just it's hard to do and it takes um well it's like it Walter some... White um I would say yeah I think yeah, that would be um, the first time on screen like on screen recently we've seen someone like make that hard of a transition yeah I mean that also took five seasons with action and violence but I think in the sense of like a well by a, the end of season one you could tell like he's gonna start deal- doing uh, dealing meth. Sure, sure. Um, but d- don't you think that like that's sort of like a rare character because it requires like a lack of preciousness? Well, it requires you setting the character up earlier on that they do like have a good soul. That's and, true, like, right. Th- and like they're just, but they're just human and they're deeply like sort of fate has conspired to. Because like, and that's what this movie believes in is that fate has conspired to make this guy who is ultimately well-meaning to look like an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like the thing where he throws the Chinese thing and misses the garbage can, and the janitor sees it and becomes resentful that he's going to have to clean that up. He's the one who oh, ultimately yeah. narks him out in the end. Like the, mm-hmm. it's just fate. It's fate conspiring against this guy. You know, just like I mean, politics win. Goliath wins. Jocks win. Like the resume chasers win. Like this is a movie about a. It's it's much better satire, not only because the writing is so much better than the other two movies that we're going to talk about, but this is a movie about a failed conspiracy, not like a uh, fantasy that comes out of a conspiracy. Um, right. This is about like Prometheus reaching and then getting stung in the eye by right. me. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was like a, a rare moment where this guy, like, for no real, I mean, no real reason other than his own boredom, decides to just, like, really take a stand. And yeah. his ripple just has no, people just got where they were going. And that's what I find so, maybe, um, maudlin, or not maudlin, but sort of melancholy about this movie. Definitely. Is the fact that, I mean, our actions just, like, lead to an inevitable ending place. Should we get to should we rate this and then get to Leo? I would love that. I think this movie is good good. I I think I in fact I think it's great. I mean I'm interested to see what comes of his next movie Downsizing, which uh by the way, Leo is going to give us a cool preview of um but I think I think Pain over time has come to care more, become more of a caretaker for his protagonists. Like they're always human and they're always have their ambiguities. Um, but I think when it comes to to Clooney and, and Bruce Dern and, and some of these later pain characters, like they're gonna learn they're gonna learn something and they're gonna I don't know. The movie's not gonna put them in, in moral harm's way the way it does with Broderick in this movie and it's so exciting. Yeah. I think it's a good good with the caveat or with like the little asterisks of like, I can understand why the MTV crowd like didn't get it. Oh, sure. Much in the way, I think they were hoping for the same sort of success as like a Napoleon dynamite type. Oh yeah. Which is, I think is also an MTV movie if I'm not mistaken. Uh, That makes sense. And yeah, it's, uh, but I love it. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, no, it wasn't going to work out uh, with their audience because there's a, a de- like a depthful satire in here where everyone has a public and private existence and everyone can sort of stand in for 
a candidate you kind of recognize or like what you who you imagine to be a behind the scenes string puller um it's not 10 things i hate about you no certainly not um <clears throat> should we get to leo let's do it well right now on the show i'm i'm very pleased to be joined by a journalist and writer he is the author of alexander payne his journey in film a reporter's perspective which is a collection of interviews with the Omaha Bread Auteur uh, spanning the last 15 years. Uh, you can find more of this writer's work at uh, leoadambiga.com, including some portraiture I was really just enjoying about the boxer Terrence Crawford. Uh, Leo Adambiga, thank you for taking the time, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I mean, you obviously had some great access with Alexander Payne through the years. Starting out, I think he would have been about 35 when you did that interview. What kind of interview was he as a as a younger director trying to make his mark? Yeah, really no different than he is today. Um, you know, so, um, you know, if you know anything about Payne, um, you know, even, even if you've not seen him in an interview or you've not read him in an interview, if you only know him by his work, that would, I think, tell most viewers – um, that you know you're dealing with some uh, <clears throat> someone of, of high intelligence, um, totally great observational skills. Um, you know someone you know who you know is in the I think in the tradition of great satirists. Um, again, you know very thoughtful. He's incredibly well read. Um, you know he makes all sorts of references during an interview, whether you were interviewing him in the 1990s or. You know, in today in 2016, some of mm-hmm. which you may catch, some of which like <laughs> what's that? Um, I'll have to check that you know later when I get home. I'll have to Google that. Um, right. That happens with some frequency. Um, he he's just a genuine, um, nice Midwestern guy yeah. um, who also happens to be brilliant. I was I was sort of struck, and I wonder if maybe this is just the artistic point that he was at in his career. When I read the 1998 interview, he was very open about, and it felt like a little bit of ground staking, uh, talking about like what he didn't want to do. Um, you know, I don't want to make my movie in a fake high school because that would be hideous. I don't want to make this kind of comedy because that's like fluff. I don't enjoy the nihilism of uh, like late 90s sort of auteur movies. Um, and I wonder, do you feel like that was just like a hair more spitfire of youth or was he kind of just be like declaring himself at an early point in his career? Well, um, I, think, I think it might be a mix of those things. I mean, he still says things like that today. Okay. I mean, if you, if you read uh, uh, in my interviews with him of more recent vintage or read other people's interviews with him, you know, he's still very outspoken about, let's say, the state of American cinema. You know, he has uh, intentionally, assiduously <laughs> pursued his path as a filmmaker, and and he, he really hasn't deviated from it. You know, um, yeah. and so even now he's making a science fiction film, right. and and it's not going to look like any other science fiction film. I can guarantee you that. I mean, without it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, I've read the script, and so I, I can I can tell you at least um, on a script basis that I mean, it reads that is the vast majority of it. Um, like an Alexander Payne film with all the Paynesian, you know, um, uh, satire and, and mm-hmm. all the things that we've come to expect from his work, um, I think people, you know, uh, will you'll almost forget that you're watching um, a, a, a kind of a genre film and you're just going to be uh, 
pulled in to all those humanistic things that are of greatest interest to him. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about uh, election in particular. I don't know how how recently you have watched it. Um, Long time, actually. Okay. When you watched it, outside of specifically Omaha landmarks, for instance, like the Henry Dorley Zoo or, or things that are recognizable from like a, a postcard version of Omaha, what is there a visual thing, a thing about setting that you as an, as an Omahaan recognize as like, oh, that's, that's quintessentially here? Well, I think not so much in terms of uh, maybe physical settings. You know, he talked about, you know, how elusive it was to capture Omaha. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, um, and, and, I, and I don't pretend to know all those reasons, but I am a, a native Omaha, and I've lived here my entire life. So I, 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 I kind of, when he, when he addresses this, I, I certainly identify with what he's, he's talking about. And some of it has to do with, um, um, you know, Omaha is a kind of an uh, amorphous place, right, for, for a lot of people who don't live here, and even for people who do live here. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there, you know there, there are those things that are identifiable, you know, let's, let's say like the Henry Dorley Zoo and Aquarium and, and, and a few physical landmark kind, kinds of things. Uh, but there aren't many of those. Um, and 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 then with election, you know, now it's more grounded actually in Omaha as as a setting, uh, right? But without about Schmidt, then he took that to a whole other kind of uh, level. Yeah. And and so he felt he was most successful in capturing Omaha with with about Schmidt. Yeah. And and it has to do with this kind of um, uh, this confluence of of things of of attitudes um and that Omaha you know I think at one point and I probably can't find it here while we're talking but you know at, at one point he describes how well you know Omaha is 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 uh, somebody you know who's um it can be embodied in or uh, epitomized in someone who's just very uh you know kind of uh, conservative and um suppressed and um you know uh just is is kind of a, a real tight ass you know? mm-hmm. um but at the same time you know he grew up with another side of omaha um that is much looser <laughs> and mm-hmm. more liberal so leo shifting gears sort of toward like the specifically um we we talked about how Payne is a is a, a noted satirist, and an election and Citizen Ruth might be the movies that where that comes through the strongest. Uh, we'll see about um, about downsizing. Um, if it's not too uh, gauche to ask, I mean, I would be remiss considering the movies the that we're doing for this episode of the show. When you watched Election, were there any actual people or political happenings that were evoked for you? I don't think so, but you know that I was thinking about this uh, uh, before you called, uh, and you know the, the central conflict, right? Uh, yeah, becomes uh, comes to be between Tracy Flick and uh, Jim McAllister, right? Uh, yep. Uh, the, the the student and the teacher, um, and they're in conflict for all sorts of reasons. They're both doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They they have stretched their uh, their values and their morality. Yeah. More than a bit. Yeah. Um, Yet, yet she um, is on her high moral horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, and and so she's she's convinced that she's absolutely right. 
and and no one can convince her, uh, especially uh, Jim McAllister, that she's wrong. Right. And by the same token, he's um, he's pointing fingers at her, and he holds all this 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 incredible resentment towards her, and yet he's screwing around on his wife, yep. <laughs> and ultimately rigging the election, the student election, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. And so that reminds me very much of so many <laughs> national political campaigns sure. then and now. I mean, the, the one that's the presidential uh, campaigns that are going on right now. Yeah, hypocrisy, grabbing moral high ground that you have not earned the right to. Um, and, you know, there's another amazing, uh, one of my favorite moments in the movie is uh, when Tracy is jumping in the hallway and she thinks she's won the election right before uh, Broderick throws away the the two deciding votes, the voiceover kicks in and he's just like, it's not just the things she did. At that moment, it was just her face. And I thought that, like, not only is that really funny, but it also does sort of, like, get to sort of like the way the superficial way that like we can't stop ourselves from thinking about candidates at the end of the day like there is like an optics like ability thing like he just doesn't like her yeah no, i think that's a great point absolutely i mean yeah we i mean we all have those visceral responses right yeah. um and and it, they have as much to do with, with us or maybe more so than with the person sure. we're responding to um it, although you know you really couldn't convince us of that right you know we you know um i think in all of Payne's films um the, the, his protagonists um they are uh, they are so true to life because people who end up doing damage to themselves and to others are doing it out of places of hurt and insecurity right out of out of fear and resentment essentially um, and if you go right down the line of all his protagonists, um, you know, they're all people in distress. Do you see, since you've said that you've, uh, you've seen the script for, for downsizing is, is, is he, does it feel to you as though he's returning to a more satirical place? Cause while the, the movies in the middle are, are quite, uh, can be quite funny and quite touching, they they are much more understated character studies than something like election. I wonder what you make of his next move. Yeah, I would say that that uh, the downsizing, because of kind of the vast terrain that it covers, both geographically and thematically, mm-hmm. um, there's lots of fodder. <laughs> For, for him and Jim Taylor to have dealt with, you know, in no particular order, uh, you know, the backdrop is, you know, there's all these, you know, the world's uh, dwindling resources is is, is causing, um, you know, more and more uh, people to worry about the future of the Earth, and there's this looming kind of end of Earth kind of scenario going on, uh, uh, and um, uh, and then you have, you know, this means has been found, this process has been found. Um, Right to, to miniaturize human beings and, and to give people an, an, an alternate so they have a much smaller, you know, literally a, a much smaller footprint, right, on the earth. And, 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 and so just the mere fact, uh, you know, by this, by this story's construction that, that that is possible automatically creates a whole new world of, of problems and issues. 
Well, before we go, Leo, let's get in a, a plug for the new edition of your book. You said that comes out at the hope sometime around the end of the summer. And are we looking at maybe a Nebraska chapter added or what are we looking at? Yes, definitely. Um, uh, lots of new content, uh, most of that around uh, Nebraska. Um, there's also uh, uh, material dealing with downsizing. Um, lots of new photos, uh, you know, total repackaging in terms of new, new cover, uh, um, and just lots of updating as well. And it's, it's also drastically reformatted so that, you know, we're confident it's going to be uh, an, an even more attractive read than it was the first time around. So we're very excited about it, and official release date will be uh, September 1st. Well, wonderful. Uh, best of luck, Leo, and thanks a lot for the time. Oh, yeah. Hey, thank you very much uh, for reaching out, and uh, it was uh, it was a pleasure. Why, Tracy? Who put you up to this? What do you mean? You just woke up this morning and suddenly decided to run for president? No. Um, no, I, I just thought that, uh... Thought what? Well, I was talking to Mr. McAllister about my leg, and how I still want to do something for the school, and... So Mr. McAllister asked you to run? Well, um... 2012's the campaign? So what were the conditions in which you watched this movie, Chance? Last night, on my laptop, sipping on a Mexican beer. And you presumably, like, hated it, because it's a reprehensible film. <laughs> I think you disliked it more than me, but no, it's not good. So I was in my like six by nine bedroom where I'm right now, like just mm -hmm. sort of curled into a ball in the corner where there's no noise. Um, I was shifting my bed 45 degrees, okay. but you can't do that in a room that's six by nine that when you have a queen size bed so I had my laptop like in the corner and then I was like moving all my furniture around in this sort of like jigsaw puzzle of how was I going to move my bed without enlisting the services of anyone else 45 mm -hmm. degrees and was also watching the campaign like while this is going on so I hated this movie because your bedroom game of Tetris was also irritating you? Because I literally needed a bedroom game of Tetris to get me through it. Uh, sounds like you should synopsize it. Um, it's so easy because the, the setup is like the most simple thing ever. That's um, true. The only, there's, a, yeah. there's a politician who's like kind of a douchebag. A <laughs> North Carolina congressman played by Will Ferrell. It's, so yeah, Will Ferrell's kind of a douchebag. Like, you're a quintessential politician. And then the Koch brothers decide that, like, for some reason, they need to get rid of him to, like, push this thing that doesn't sound like it could ever happen where, like, Chinese factories, like, move into basically, like, racking middle class or in sort of, like, you know, middle class guilt of, like, things. Anyway. Um, and then, so they put up, you know, quintessential simpleton... Zach Galifianakis. And so then you have two lunatics attempting to like run campaigns against each other. Yeah. And because there is no like center of gravity, you're literally like doing flips in a, a jet plane just to try to figure out like which end is up with this movie. Cam Brady will win his fifth term in Congress simply by signing the registration ballot. That's one of the perks of running unopposed. Let's get this bad boy signed. I don't 
know if that's supposed to be pushing or pull. Hey. Who is that guy? What I found so surprising about this is like the amount of pedigree behind it. Like even on the production side, you've got like sure. Jay Roach as the director who's done like some pretty decent, I mean, even if you don't think that the Austin Powers movies were like worth anything in the canon, they're still like well-known, well-made films. Sure. And you got Adam McKay, like his fingerprints are all over this as a right, right. producer. And one wonders if the two of them didn't make a much darker film that got like chopped up in post and like that's what they spent all the money on. Yeah, that seems possible. There's also like two other screenwriters. It's a weird, yeah, I don't know. There's a couple hints there. Like this movie has like the, the smell on it that like it got lost in production hell. Well, the other problem with the satire aspect is that this movie has only ever read one newspaper and the, uh, the story in the newspaper that day was the Koch brothers. Like it knows nothing else about like contemporary politics at all. Right. Like it's just, it has no, I mean, it raised a question for me, Noah, of whether, whether these political satire movies should like explore or imagine what we kind of like think we know about political games or should they sort of just hammer home the doubts that we already have. And this movie just has, has no imagination at all to do the former. Right. Yeah, I think there's like one decent movie and one salvageable movie in here. One of them stars Will Ferrell and the other one stars Zach Galifianakis, but the movie <laughs> never differentiates like who's carrying this movie. Like we'll get to Head of State in a, like in a minute, but like there's no lo- there's no confusion in Head of State like who this movie is like grounded on. Yeah. It's Chris Rock. Right. For this one, it it was rooting for like sort of both of them because mm-hmm. Will Ferrell is known as this like privileged, like spoiled guy. And that's I mean, he's playing the same role as he's playing. He's playing Ron Burgundy, who's a politician in this one. Yeah, he's doing a more debaucherous version of his uh, W impression, too. Yeah. Yeah. And but you're still sort of rooting for him because that's like Will Ferrell and everybody loves Will Ferrell. And then Zach Galifianakis, who's, like, almost like a dangerous usurper of, like, this space. Galifianakis seems to do this thing over and over again, like, regardless of the movie, where he's doing that sort of, like, southern mocking effeminate voice with, like, fanny packs and tiny creatures. Like, how (laughs) did he decide to make that his thing, and why does he do it in every single movie? Is that not exactly what he did in The Hangover and uh, Due Date? But this is a terrible movie. Right. Like, it, the satire is just so, like, offensive. Like, even to somebody, like, like on the right, you know, like, mm-hmm. he, what is, I forget what he, I, I, I blacked out most of this movie. But <laughs> at one point, Zach Galifianakis does something to Will Ferrell. So Will Ferrell, like, literally goes and sleeps it like seduces by like getting her drunk his wife like has i guess consensual sex with her and then releases a videotape he's taken like on the news and like that's one of like the beats of this movie (laughs) which in cameos chris matthews and wolf blitzer seem to delight in (laughs) pretending to report on oh my that's probably what they spent all the fucking money on is getting recordings from all these that must be such a funny thing to do like for wolf blitzer like you know sort of 
you know, tempering his his modest lifestyle with these like kickbacks from like doing fake movie uh, news. <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. Uh, I love um, it. And talking about how this movie, I mean, I don't, we shouldn't spend too much longer on it, but don't um, watch this movie. <laughs> You will hate yourself afterwards. The 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 really truly stupid unforgivable thing in the writing I think is the the fact that this this is not like a presidential movie. This is a movie set in a small town, a distinct congressional election where Zach Galifianakis is supposed to be the champion of the people of the small town, but there are no local storylines, no recognizable locals right. except Thomas Middleditch not talking, and no like no character issues. Like that's, that's so how you know, idiotic. That's how you know that, that this movie got like cut like way down because Thomas Middleditch is like the fourth build character. Yeah. And he has he has what, a scene and a half? Yeah. He's got nothing to do. Like, they, they clearly cut him out because he has, like, one conversation with them and then he's gone until the climax scene where he's, like, seen in a crowd. Yeah. It just made me think about um, season four of Parks and Rec and the, the city council election with uh, Paul Rudd as Bobby Newport, Bobby Newport running against Leslie Nope and, like, how, inc- how, like, incredibly effective, like, local government satire that show always does. Yeah. And, like, just how this movie... You didn't want to write anything about this north carolina town just steal everything from my cousin Vinny. i yeah, don't like know. any bits with them with the locals yeah yeah well because that's like the whole thing the movie's riding on is you thinking that zach galifianakis like really wants to help the small town which has accepted him when his family didn't right that's like his yes. his moral center yes but like that never is established except for him like saying yeah. i just wanted to like help this town right but like we don't know the town, so it's very hard to follow. I think the big takeaway is that you cannot make an effective political satire if your movie and the people creating it do not have a pol- inherent or like a coherent political ideology. You have to do that. You I mean, can't co- do <laughs> you can't do satire without feeling a way about politics. Yeah, well, that's what I think is funny because it, it's clearly like is that it's a movie stripped of its political affiliation. Yeah. And yeah, it's just such a strange, it's such a strange one. Do you think in that way that, um, and this is probably if you're thinking about studio notes and chopping it up afterward in a, in a weird way, like you probably can't do a broad comedy. That's a satire, right? Because like there has to be something inherently incisive about a good satire, um, which is going to turn off some people and is going to be smart and is going to be over people's heads. And so then to come back and be like, I want to make a Galifianakis feral movie that appeals to everyone and makes a hundred million dollars and you end up with a mess. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It is kind of a mess. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because it's, if you're a satire, you have to be satirizing something. And <laughs> right. this this movie only claims to, like, satirize what? Uh, China is bad. <laughs> yeah, like, like outsourcing jobs or insourcing jobs is bad. Yeah. Just doing really anything is bad. Politicians yep. are bad. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of, like, such a no-brainer sort of satire. Like, we get it. Yeah, I already said it. Bad, bad. Yeah, it's bad, bad. Let's move on. Let's move on to head of state. 
let us check our privilege at the uh, threshold of this film. Agreed. You know what? Maybe we can start here. The idea for head of state and campaign are both silly, right? Everybody knows that. Like, these are probably not going to be, like, really good, like, cogent satires. You probably know that because they're about random people getting plucked from obscurity and running for office and it's somehow working out. Like, you know. But if you read the reviews for head of state, which I... I I hope you'll agree, is a better, certainly much more enjoyable movie than The Campaign. I'm going to make a pretty hard argument for Head of State, but, like, you go ahead. The critics, their criticism... They're so fucking racist. ...of Head of State is, I'm going to argue, like, uh, thinly-veiled racism. They're like, Chris Rock just sort of, like, hip-hop-ized this, like, this premise. Like, it's so amateurish. Is it not more noble for a first-time director with a third of the budget to come out and try to like get his comedic sensibility on a page than it is to have like a hundred million dollars and throw it at a bunch of talented actors and come up with nothing it is more noble head of state is a better movie and critics oh inherently yeah inherently 2003 were being racist yeah i like went back and read some of the reviews and they are like in the with the goggles of 2016 on or maybe with the goggles of when was this movie 2003. 2003. So, like, getting closer to 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, the racial politics in this movie are, like, pretty... Like, I, I, th- I think they're pretty loud for, like, what Chris Rock would be allowed to do at that point. Mm-hmm. And then the response in the reviews is such a back... I mean, it's the sort of backlash that reminded me of, you know, people criticizing Beyonce's Super Bowl performance for saying it, like, evoked black panther culture Mm. and it's like well well yeah that that was the point right yeah (laughs) this movie i think is like very subversive and i think the most subversive thing if i can talk about this just like right up front before we get into the plot sure is the casting of the chief of staff woman talk about lynn whitfield yes Mm mm-hmm Because nowhere explicitly in the whole film does it ever acknowledge that she's black. Right. And just think about how differently those scenes play, like when, you know, an outsider character has to be, like, around what is considered by the media to be black culture in 2004. Chris Rock is, is he a community organizer? He's a, um, is an alderman. Oh, okay. Um... In DC's Ninth Ward. Uh, and he's scrappy in a tiny office. Doesn't look like it has air conditioning. Helping everyone in the neighborhood. Like he he is the, the ideal sort of like urban community leader given, um, given terrible poverty um, in, in this ward. Uh, and in, it starts with him, a, a building that's, uh, what they've been, they've, this woman's been evicted and they're about to, it's going for demolition like any moment. And her cat is inside and he ends up saving the woman and the cat and appears on the news at the same time as what we assume are like the, like the democratic chairs and like that sort of uh, think tank, but we don't know for sure. They don't say right. Right. But it's definitely the Democrats. Um, Well, it was 2004. So it was like in a moment where the Republicans held the white house. Yes. Um, 
So you have like so the implication you have like Dick Cheney like running against uh, Chris Rock, Carrion Edwards. Yeah. Uh, So what if Carrion Edwards uh, got in a plane crash because they were using their phones or something? That's the Um, setup. Yes, and James Rebhorn, who is playing. I don't actually know what his job is, but like the leader of the Democratic Party. I, I assumed he was the DNC chairman. There you go. Um, in a in a move of uh, political gamesmanship, says we should find we should pluck a random person uh, from obscurity to to run for this office, so they can lose in the '04 election, which will set up my candidacy in '08. And they're watching the news, and they figure that the perfect patsy is uh, Chris Rock. We need a candidate that'll make us look like the party that embraces the American dream. You can't just pick some guy to run for president. We want a man of the people. We'd like you to run for president. Of what? The United States. Of what? Of America. Get out of here. Can we talk about some like 2003 things that I really like about this movie? Tell us. Some great 2003 things. Uh, Nelly. Yep. Talking about Shaq. Very skinny Tracy Morgan. Uh, Lester from The Wire talking about Timbaland. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hummers. Uh, Alan Iverson on a poster, but they couldn't couldn't show the Sixers jersey. I thought that was cute. Um, Yeah, it's a... (laughs) I like I like watching a movie from 03 and being like, ah, period piece. I'm into it. Yeah, it's really dated. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just love all movies that don't have smartphones in them because it's such a different world. Like sure. the way people find other people. What I also loved about this movie was the reoccurring sound gags. Like when he shouts security and then there's like this whoosh and then there's a, a car door slamming and it's speeding off no matter where yeah. they are. Yeah. It's funny. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things which <laughs> which are kind of cute and but like also kind of like, I mean, we talked about the the reviews and how hard they were on him. Like it's it's clear that at this point that as the writer and director like. Chris Rock does not yet know what he's doing. Um, Much like sta- the candidate. Which, uh, yeah, which which stands to reason. I mean, like, I've seen Top 5. Like, that's a pretty good movie. Like, he figured out how to make a but movie. But I think the, the things he does come up with, like, visually, are really interesting. Like, the, they som- the thing... They sometimes hit really well. Like, I even was impressed by just the screen uh, choreography of when he crosses the street and, like, drops his bike unexpectedly to, like look at something and then the bus runs over over the bike yes which clearly had to happen like in the shot right which is something yeah they went for it and they didn't know exactly what was going to happen and what turned out was like pretty funny yeah the the thing that this movie has on its side is if you're making a satire and the satire has a political conspiracy in it you you know who's like better than five white guys grappling with the hollywood studio about doing that a black comedian with like a really specific point of view that he's been honing in his stand-up right. for like the previous ten years. Like he's just on such better ground to start this movie. Where I, I forgot to say the more conspiratorial part than Rebhorn getting elected four years later is the fact that they specifically want a minority candidate so they can bring votes over that will later vote for him. Um, 
Right. Like it's it's dark, but it's like very like white people using black and Latino people for their political gain. And Chris Rock can do that. Right. And he speaks to a sort of interesting political stance as well, which I found sort of to be maybe like a questionable thing, but like maybe just kind of funny. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that he connects with people about like physically abusing your children, I thought was sort of interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it was just sort of, a, a, it was a moment of pause for me. Well, he ends up running on like blue collar populism, right? Right. Well, he, well, that's the interesting thing about it. He is both socially liberal and socially conservative. Right. And then financially very liberal. Right. Right. But he's just sort of, I wonder what sort of political affiliation, like, he, he feels he's representing. Black 03 Bernie Sanders? Yeah. I mean, it's somewhere there. Yeah. But, I mean, if Bernie Sanders was not a senator, but like, a, like an average Joe who's just like, if I want to knock some sense into my kid, I should be able to do so. Right. And of course you have the, you know, the constant But that's failing. his line in the sand is just yeah. like, if you need to like, you know, smack your kid, this is America, God damn it. You can smack your kid. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's weird. It's like very liberal, but like kind also sort of hands off, maybe a, a sprinkle, a spritz of libertarianism in there. Yeah. Tell me what you th- you can what you make of the the bit at the beginning, the opening credits, where it says like Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Hillary Clinton. I thought that uh, was going to happen for a second. Joe Lieberman and Al Bob Gore, Dole. Bob Dole are not in this movie. Like what was like what's the what's the takeaway from that? I was thinking about that for a while. I think maybe those people actually might have turned them down to be in the movie. Um, and instead, sure. like instead of cameos, what you have are the interesting interludes, like like Nate Dog <laughs> being right. like the Greek chorus of this movie. That's um, another interesting choice for this movie that I think is like, I mean, it, it's it's inoffensive enough to work. I mean, it's dumb, but like you know, sure. I love a good Greek chorus when it's sure. like subtle like that. It's like, why is Nate Dog standing there singing to me like what I've already just seen the past forty five minutes? <laughs> Well, that's what I think is, like, subversive about it, because they knew that, like, they would get bad reviews from, like, stuffy white critics. Yep. But they needed for a studio, presumably trying to bring in audience of, like, white theater goers. Right. They had to make it, like, as tame of a social satire as possible mm-hmm. while still poking fun at, like, you know, institutionalized racism. Yeah. And, but like also speaking to like the black experience of trusting your family more than you trust like people you just met. I mean, how far are you willing to go with your defense of this movie, Noah? Because I think. So, I think for 2003, I think this is like pre Obama, pre what, second W administration? Mm hmm that this movie got away with enough to make it entertaining that it does exist yeah. as like sort of a cultural document. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately it's like a pretty naive satire. Like as far as like the teeth of it, like getting into the system is pretty naive. Right. I would agree. And in that way it doesn't, it also doesn't know how to move itself along as a movie. Like it has some ideas for, um, 
you know, it clearly has a premise idea, right? And then Chris Rock has some terrific joke. Like, I think that the the image in his mind, the first time they tell him you're going to run for president and his instant image is him being assassinated, like, <laughs> that is really dark, but, like, quintessential Chris Rock. Um, but then he's sharp- naive enough to bring it back later to show you that he was just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also loved the... Uh, there's the thing and it's kind of again it's sort of out of place because a lot of things in this movie feel out of place right the thing on election night where um the the other side the republicans they're going to try to win some much needed districts in california simply by having the newscaster report that it seems like we have our first black president and the thing of white people spilling out of their houses (laughs) to bombs over baghdad to go like flood the polls (laughs) is like a really hilarious cynical image it's so Um, funny so he has good ideas for things like that but in terms of just like you know just moving like just doing the comedy the situational comedy work of this movie like they don't know how to do it like the nelly dance sequence with everyone is is cute but it's like is that really like where we wanted to start it's the kind of sequence it's the kind of sequence you know they made just to have in the trailer totally (laughs) yeah to like it's oh kinda, it's gonna be one of those kind of movies and i think it speaks to the problem of we've been talking about like this movie is good because it has chris rock's voice in it um but for for a good portion of the movie i think unfortunately it sort of forgets how important chris rock is and just has those sort of like aren't uh white people and black people sure are different kind of things and like that's yeah. how we move from a to b and that's not that effective yeah. So this is a bad good then? Yeah. Um, um bad good? Yeah. <sighs> no, I'm going to give it a good good. You're going to give it a good good. I'm going to give it a good good. Like mm. I think the the statement of the movie keeps it as like a pretty decent cultural artifact that should be seen like as a study of race relations and the state of comedy too, pre Obama, just to show you like how f- like much the country has changed in like what twelve years. Yeah, uh, I think your want for a, a noble stance has maybe caused you to overlook some very glaring, um, like technical plotting flaws in this. What movie do you think that- of the big flaws? I already talked about it that like 45 minutes of the movie are just like jokes that we don't know how to get to the next. We don't know how to get to the next joke except for like 90s black, white SNL sketches. But how else are you supposed to get there with someone like Chris Rock? Uh, Story. Not, not forgetting who the central character is until he remembers like more than halfway through the movie. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Bad good for me. And I mean, it's a soft good good. Don't get me wrong. Right. But it it, it sneaks onto the list for me. All right. Noah Ballard. Sir. We've, this has been another episode of Be Real, guys. It certainly has. Uh, Thank you, Chance, for uh, being the real, you know, managing partner in our friendship law firm. Of course. 
Thanks again to Leo Adam Biga for being on the first part of the show. Again, he's got that uh, that new edition of the Alexander Payne uh, interview biography coming out. I believe he said September one, but stay stay tuned to Leo Adam Biga B I G A dot com for uh, for more information. I'm sure you can also find a link to purchase the book from there. But thanks to Leo. For more episodes of our show, which we would love you to find and go back to, uh, we're at BeRealGuys.com, made by the wonderful Michael Todd. Real, with two E's, like a film reel. You can find all past episodes there. You can find them on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music. Find us on Twitter, at BeRealGuys, or send us an email, at BeRealGuys at gmail.com. Noah Ballard, do you have anything to add here, Sir? Uh, I just thank you for your continued enthusiasm for this little endeavor of ours. Vote with your heart and your conscience in November. That's uh, that's the takeaway from these movies. Take all